Hey everyone, welcome to The Pump Spot. I'm Amy Van Heron, and we are here having nourishing conversations about the many challenging, beautiful ways we all feed our families. I am so excited today to sit down with Kate Torgensen. She is a mother of three, including twins. She is the founder and CEO of Milk Stork, an amazing company that has helped women ship over 3 million ounces of breast milk to all the places that they need to go. And Kate has built a really fantastic company that has long been paving the way for women to work and nurse and feed their families. And so it's really fun for me to sit down with another founder of a breastfeeding company and to talk about what her journey has been like, what the state of life is like for working parents right now and how we can all do better as companies, as supporters to drive change. I suggest you listen all the way to the end because you will be rewarded with a fantastic story about pickles. Enjoy. Well, Kate, welcome to the Pump Spot. It's so exciting to connect with you again and to have you here. So thanks for taking some time to stop by. I'm thrilled to be here and talking to you on this lovely Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, and I, Kate, I think the last time we saw each other was in California when we were all, when we were on the Pump Spotting Breast Express. So it's been a while, but I'm so excited to have you on board because you have had such an amazing journey of supporting breastfeeding parents and working parents. And I love the way your company's grown and shifted. And now in this day and age, it's more important than ever what you're doing to support working parents and think about that. And I'm excited with Pump Spotting that we're partnering to be part of supporting more employers and families. And so I feel like there's many things we could talk about, but it might be great just to kind of have you start with the Milk Stork story. What was, you know, the, the personal inspiration behind it and how did you get started? Yeah, sure. Milk Stork started with a business trip and a TSA line. Actually, it started a little bit before then. I uh, have three kids. I have, my first is now turning 10 in a week. I can't believe it. And then I have twins who are seven. But when they were, the twins were about seven or eight months old, I had to take a four-day business trip and I was breastfeeding them. With the twins, we had a lot of breastfeeding issues that we overcame. We had tongue ties and weight gain issues and uh, tandem nursing. And it was just a challenge out of the gates. But through it all, we had kind of made it through and we had we had established a breastfeeding relationship so when the business trip came up it you know we were it it felt like i i didn't want to throw in the towel on everything that we had kind of all the work that we had done to get to where we were but at the same time you know i had been walking around the office pregnant with twins up until we carried i carried them almost full term um so i felt like i had this neon sign over my head that said like mom and i was ready to really re-engage with uh, my job and take on opportunities. So it really felt like a, a it, there was a big rub <laughs> between maintaining the breastfeeding relationship and then um, also kind of reconnecting with my, my professional ambition. So at the time I was producing about a gallon of milk every two days to feed the twins. So in order to take the trip, I had to pump two gallons ahead of time, um, you know, adding pumping sessions and all of that. And then while I was away, I was pumping every three hours. <laughs> I did the middle of the night pump and, you know, in, in the middle, in the, in the hotel room, middle of the night. And I was managing two gallons of breast milk in a hotel mini fridge, not to mention like lugging it around throughout the day. And it was just, 
I think the fact that I had so much milk made it acutely painful. And when I got on the, I had to take it through TSA, I got questions about why one mom would have so much milk, just humiliating and frustrating. And I couldn't believe that there wasn't an easier way to do this. And I just kept thinking if I could just send the milk home, I wouldn't have to stockpile it before I left. And I wouldn't have to deal with all the, like the, the, the burden of carrying it around with me and managing it while I was away. And of course, you know, it's a four day trip. So the t- clock is ticking on the milk. So really on the flight home, I was, I was angry <laughs> and I was trying to think of solutions. And I got home the next day and I called my dad and I was like, Hey dad, I have this idea. And we got to work immediately. So that's kind of how it started. Well, I can just imagine the visual too, because with breastfeeding in some ways, you know, you're always expressing. So usually you're getting, the milk is coming out and you're feeding it to a baby or you're putting it in bottles and you're sort of passing it on part of the, you know, the ebb and flow of supply and demand. And for you, what it must've been like to have to produce all that milk and the logistics of scheduling and pumping and being away and all of that, and then literally still be carrying the milk with you as you went. I mean, the, the weight, the emotional and physical burden of carrying that milk around was great. It was large. <laughs> and, you know, the reality is that that's, yeah, I had a lot of milk, but that burden is one that, that moms are dealing with all the time whether they're traveling or they're, you know, going out, out and about around town. And not only that, you're having to advocate at every single juncture to get the support that you need. And you're kind of like having to explain breastfeeding to you know, all these people that you wouldn't normally have to explain something to. Like, I didn't ever think I would have to explain to a TSA agent uh, why my milk production was so high or, um, you know, just people who have not lactated and, and trying to kind of get the demand, the support that you need. It's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting on top of what is already exhausting for the amount of hours you have to breastfeed and doing it in the middle of the night. And I, I mean, I empathize so much because I traveled a lot while I was breastfeeding. And so, and I did it before your brilliant invention. So I can't tell you how many people have probably said this to you, but how much I wished I had milk stork back in the day, because I mean, I was Googling, random dry ice places and driving out to it and having to get the cooler. And so also the simple act of you being able to take that burden of time and logistical stress and what have you off of parents is, it's a game changer. As simple as it sounds, it really, for me, that would have made my life so tremendously easier. And I would have been able to put those hours towards my family or towards my work when I was spending so many hours Googling and driving and trying to navigate it. I always tell people that, um, you know, breastfeeding is like driving an electric car on a road trip. (laughs) You're, you're always trying to like, you always have to think like a hundred miles ahead, you know, like, what am I going to run into? What's it going to be like? Is there going to be a chart? Like, am I going to find a corner and where am I going to put the milk? How long am I going to be without ice? I think the mental load that comes with pumping and always feeling like you're the first person to go through TSA or the first person to ask for a place to pump at a convention. It's like constantly trailblazing. Yeah. I think that's such a valid point because you do feel like you're the first person. And the reality is in some ways you're not, but also there's so much discrepancy. What I've found in the breastfeeding spaces, there's so much that varies from TSA agent to TSA agent and from airport to airport and from employer to employer. And so we're still sort of in this early phase where there just are no consistencies in this, this, 
process. And so I think that's one of the, the amazing things that you're doing with Milk Stork is, you know, on one hand, what you're helping do is solve a logistic and emotional burden in terms of doing that, but you're also really advocating for some some consistency in how we treat moms during this phase and how you offer. Have you, I mean, have you seen that as you've grown the company or what, it, what is, what is this journey so far kind of taught you about the state of breastfeeding and, and what's really needed? It's taught me a couple things. I think one, it's amazing how so few people, and I include myself in that before I had kids know about what goes into the experience of breastfeeding. And yet so many women are doing it or have done it or do it for a period of time. Um, and it is this invisible, mysterious, if, if, you, if you haven't experienced it or you haven't kind of sat, you haven't been in the breastfeeding circle, it's not something that people think about. At the same time, kind of the flip side of that is it was really amazing to me to see how quickly enterprise clients, like companies, were eager to bring on a benefit to support moms with lactation. That thoroughly surprised me. I kind of attribute it to the, to the sisterhood <laughs> of, of working moms. I think what ended up happening for us is a lot of moms were using Milk Stork and then asking their employers to reimburse them, rightfully so, if they were taking a business trip to get the milk back home. And usually they were advocating to another, you know, to someone in HR, typically a woman, also probably a working mom who experienced the pain point and knew immediately like, oh, this will help you know, this will help our moms better do their jobs. So that to me was like very unexpected and really amazing to see. So on one side, there's so many people who don't know about lactation. And on the other side, there is a movement, especially with employers to provide better support to working moms in that first year back at work. And as you've been having all these conversations around breastfeeding, Certainly, I think, you know, if you're talking to people in HR or to investors or people who are women who understand it to your point or have been through it, they, they maybe more instantly get the pain point and what it is. But what have you found, you know, have you had any awkward conversations or just interesting, surprising in terms of how you really talk about breastfeeding with, you know, men and leaders and in spaces where it's a conversation that hasn't, that has taken a long time to really come to the table? That's also, I think, been, yes. I mean, I've had the, the conversations where, you know, people kind of feel awkward about it. And for those, I'm like, listen, this is, let's talk about this from a logistical standpoint. Like, look, and again, I use the, the driving electric car across cross-country road trip. I mean, that's kind of like the best no- analogy that I can create for somebody who hasn't experienced lactation or doesn't know anything about it. And, but more often than not, especially when I'm talking employers and investors, you know, even if it is a, a, a guy, very often they're a dad. So they have seen their wife or their partner, you know, deal with kind of the challenges and logistics of breastfeeding. They've cleaned a lot of bottles. I always try to kind of like understand first before I have a conversation with somebody what their level of understanding is. So that I can understand if I'm going into breastfeeding 101, breastfeeding 201, <laughs> breastfeeding 401, like what level um, they need. And I'm really unapologetic about, about it. I, I feel like that's, that's kind of, if there's one thing that I can do is it's, I can be kind of, I don't want to say brash, but just straight up about what breastfeeding is. And if I'm doing that, that means that maybe some other mom who maybe doesn't have to navigate that conversation. So I feel really comfortable with it. So I try to do my best to advocate as I go. 
which is so vital because I think for so many parents, you said this before, but until you've breastfed, until you're in the throes of it, you don't always know what you need. And especially in the back to work experience, you're maybe not sure how to talk about it or what it is that you need. And then when you're in the throes of returning to work or your first day back or what have you, it's very hard to be your own advocate. You're vulnerable. You're kind of navigating, going through this. And so I think it's really powerful that you're opening all these conversations and getting people to think about this from a different space. You know, you said that you were surprised by how many employers were interested in bringing it on board. Have you, are there other things that have surprised you in terms of, you know, what parents really need in terms of lactation support in the workplace or barriers? You know, has anyone, you've been doing this now for a while. Are there things that have come to light that have surprised you either for the good or the, the not so good? In my experience, employers are eager to support moms. I think that sometimes they don't know how to do it. A lot of the time, these benefits are being launched because moms moms are advocating for them and, and being very specific about what they need. But if that's not happening or there isn't a coalition of, of moms at a company or you know, if you're working in a male-dominated environment, I think that that becomes harder. And so sometimes there's assumptions made about what moms need or that something, you know, we're going to make, give these, this level of support and it's, it's kind of not enough. So one thing that I always tell moms is to really be specific about what you need. I think even if you get a no, at least you, you tried. I also say to, to find, to find, you know, a team, find another person so that you're not kind of bearing the weight for, for everybody. And you can kind of have a coalition of moms asking, you know, the laws that are in place right now really provide a bare minimum. support. So really being specific and asking for what you need helps employers a lot. Well, Kate, I'd love to talk about, because I am fascinated, you know, I don't think you had a background in logistics. So you had this idea, you're sitting on this plane, you know, this anger, this passion, and the best innovation, of course, comes from that raw need that you had. But then how did you go about, was it hard for you to think about how to make them move into breast milk shipping? And, you know, how did you start to learn how to build the company? I had no idea how to do it. (laughs) I really didn't approach it as building a company. I was approaching it as solving a problem and and really starting there. And I kept, I mean, really it started with getting a day's supply of milk home, you know, like how are we going to do that? I did call my dad. My dad is my co-founder. He's still my co-founder. He's our COO. Um, he's like a great systems guy. He could connect the dots and figure out the logistics of how this would work, all the specs, all of that. For me, you know, I also had three kids under the age of three at that time. And the twins were only eight months, seven, eight months old. So I didn't have a lot of time. I knew that I needed to invest in the areas that excited me the most. Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen because I, I literally had no free time. And so Writing business plans does not excite me. <laughs> Doing market analysis does not excite me. So I probably didn't build the company in the, the quote unquote right way. I started with you know the product. I knew that if I named it and if I had a logo and a website that it would become real. And if it was real, I'd be invested in it. So I did that right away. And then we just, I mean, it was really one foot in front of the other. I did build Milk Stork while I was hooked up to the pump. Because it was the, I, I did it, that was the only time I ever had to myself was, you know, those 20 minute increments. And then we ended up launching a year after, about a year after the idea. That's fantastic. And one year is pretty quick. So, you know, once you had the idea in motion, you were really moving towards it. But 
it's really, I love hearing you say that because I think sometimes we feel like we have to do it all and there isn't time to do it all. So for you to say, I really want to move this forward, but then, then commit to just focusing on what's going to keep you excited as well as moving the company forward and really serving moms and fixing the problem. I mean, ultimately I'm sure that's what helps you succeed is keeping your excitement and passion close to the product or the moms that you're serving or what's moving you forward. Yeah. I think moms have so many ideas and once you become a mom, you're in this innovate, iterate, innovate, iterate kind of cycle, whether you're trying to get your kid to eat peas or go to sleep or take a nap or, you know, clean up their room. It's like, I'm going to try it this way. I'm going to try it this way. So it was in that, that headspace. I was also already sleep deprived, seriously sleep deprived. So I knew that I had a good window from about eight to 11 or midnight every night. Cause there was going to be, um, there was going to be a dream feed that, you know, like I couldn't commit to going to sleep early anyway. So I might as well uh, work on something, but I do think keeping your momentum is so critical. And especially for mompreneurs to, to find the thing that really excites you. And I also, you know, the other thing that I did is I told people about it right away because then I was going to be accountable to it. And if you put it out in the world and you have a name and you say what it is and you become accountable to it in a way that you wouldn't if you just kept it in your head. Yeah. Well, I still imagine that in those early years, even still, you know, every year, the kid, the age of the kids, but in those early years, you know, did you find times when you were overwhelmed trying to juggle building the business and parenthood and just all those things? Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing I was also working full time because I didn't think I was building a company. I was solving a problem at first. And then I would say, once we launched, it became a company. (laughs) And then I was running a company working full time and still had three kids under the age of, at that point of four. And there came a point where I ran out of time, like quite literally ran out of time. The milk stork was getting too complicated, still had an eight hour job. Kids were, you know, still had my mom life. And there literally was not enough hours in the day. And I knew that something had to give and decisions had to start being made. At the same time, I didn't have the luxury of just, I didn't have funding. We were bootstrapping. So I couldn't just quit my job. We're a dual income family that lives in the Bay Area. I mean, I needed, I could only exit when I, when I knew that Milk Stork was on firm footing and that uh, my family would have, you know, I could, I could carry my water financially in the family. There was some crux moments. And thankfully, the moment that Milk Stork became very complicated and the moment that I was able to take a, take a salary from milk store, those times aligned. It It seems sometimes that it's, it's these giant leaps of faith. You kind of get to that point where you feel as though you just can't keep going or you can't do it all. I think we feel that as parents sometimes and something's got to give and some, and then oftentimes I, I feel like those are times of convergence with something else in our lives. (laughs) I felt this so many times in 2020. I can't even tell you (laughs) the amount of overwhelm feeling overwhelmed in 2020. Uh, it's like a daily basis. So yeah, I think I'm, I think you're, and once you're holding that kid for the first time after you give birth and you're like, I gotta, I gotta go home and be a parent for 18 years. That's the first moment. And then, you know, in daily life, it's, it's a, it's a constant experience of being a parent, feeling overwhelmed. I know it's like every day is a new normal and, and all these things that come and then every age, I feel like just once you, I get, you get it figured out, then there's something new that you have to navigate. And so, and you, you've been following the, which I can relate to the dual paths 
of all this newness in your family and also all the newness in, in growing a business. You launched a mom shop and now you're doing some amazing things in the really building family benefits at this crucial time. And so tell us a bit about, you know, what the journey of evolution has been like for you and then maybe speak to COVID and yeah. how that's changed things. Going into 2020, we had we were full steam. I mean, we we had Milkstork was growing gangbusters, and then of course in March, all the travel restrictions happen. We see you know orders being canceled, and it was really a. Uh, I mean, the brakes just got thrown on. What has been good about COVID is that, and I think that this is true of many startups this year, is that it forces you to get out of. We, we kind of got complacent with our growth and we had a lot of inbound demand for many years um, and it was comfortable. And I think getting a little uncomfortable and really kind of being like, well, what else can we do? How else can we drive our purpose forward? If our purpose is to support working moms, it's not just supporting moms getting on airplanes and carrying milk. It's so that moms can stay engaged in their ambition and that they don't feel like they're making compromises in their family with their family or the way that they're breastfeeding their kids. So that, and we already had a, a very large client base. So the first question that kind of came to mind is, well, what, how can we help? And we saw that moms were getting pained immediately with COVID as moms, yes, dads, but definitely moms. How can we make it easier for employers to provide the services that moms need right now and do it in a fast, easy way? So we, we launched our flock of benefits, pump spotting as part of it, to give employers an option to easily onboard benefits that moms and parents need through trusted partners and to really create a platform of family benefits. So that's one, one thing that we did. The other thing that was interesting that came up through COVID is um, with COVID, there was a lot of breastfeeding studies that were going on, uh, breast milk studies and COVID transmission studies. And so we have now been supporting those studies in their cold chain logistics to collect donor samples from COVID positive moms who are um, having their milk part of these kind of these studies to understand transmission. Hey friends, we want to take a quick break and remind you of all the places you can connect with us and this lovely pump spotting community. If you're a nursing, pumping, or new mom, or a seasoned mom who just wants to give back, hop on our app. If you're also working or you're part of a company that wants to support breastfeeding employees, then pump spotting at work is for you. Find out more at pumpspotting.com. Gosh, it's not fun being forced into a different direction or having to really step back. But sometimes we just, you, I, you aren't able to pick your head up and look at the bigger picture until these moments where you're almost forced into it. And then for you to really see that you've got such trusted relationships and now you're almost solving two solutions. One is making it easier for moms and the other is making it easier for employers, which really is a win-win for everyone across the board. And so that seems like such a, such a valuable nugget to identify during this time period. I think too, the other thing that was exciting about it is that a lot of the companies that we have in our flock are also femtech companies. They're relatively new. Many of them haven't sold into the enterprise space, but they have a compelling, they now have a compelling offer for enterprise and that to be able to bring those companies forward into an enterprise channel and help them kind of develop their employer offering 
has been great. I do think that HR is ripe for disruption right now, just because of what has happened in COVID, the pain points that they're seeing with their working families. I hope it creates lasting change. It's interesting, before COVID, I think there's this like Maslow's hierarchy of needs <laughs> for for benefits. And, you know, what, at the very base of those benefits is we need paid leave and we need fair, fair pay for, for working moms. On top, the kind of next layer is flexibility. And then on top of that was uh, lactation. And the thing that was always invisible, I think, to, to a large extent, or uh, not kind of the unspoken thing was childcare. And now, now more than ever, childcare is front and center there needs to be a, a solution at the, at the federal level, and there needs to be a solution with employers. Otherwise, we're going to lose an entire generation of working women. And once we lose working women from their seat, once those women lose their seats at the table, I think we're all in bad shape. Yeah, it's, it's a terrifying, it's a terrifying time in, in terms of bringing that to light. And also, it feels to me as though a lot of it has been building. There's been populations and you know women for a long time who have not had childcare support and not had lactation support. And across the board, in some ways, your point about it being invisible, there's been so many conversations around working parents that have been ridiculously slow to come to light and to be in front and center about the importance of what's needed. And now, you know, COVID has cracked that wide open in a, in a terrifying way, because not only is it cracked it open, but now it's so many parents are sub- subjected to the, the, the pressure of that on this deep, deep level. And, you know, the optimist in me is hopeful that this is that companies are starting to think about family benefits in a different way and they're reprioritizing what that means. And so it feels like we have a lot to do so that we don't really lose this generation of mothers and parents right now. Yeah, I think it is a it is really a crux moment. I think Zoom made the need for childcare undeniable. I think moms always knew it. It was never invisible. It was I mean it was never invisible to working parents. It was never invisible to working moms. I think one thing too that we saw for the first time in 2020 is working fatherhood. It hasn't, hadn't been established visually in the way that Zoom did and that it's not just working moms who are, are challenged by this, but it's working dad. It's a, it's a family issue, not just American family. It's an American issue. When you think of how much um, working women are driving the GDP and what they contribute to their companies, it's a huge loss if, we, if, if working women are... are if it's not worth it for them. And frankly, for many, it isn't worth it. They are actually paying to work right now. Their salaries are what they are paying to put their kids in childcare. It's a break-even proposition for them right now. And that's been in the case for many years. It's just that now we're kind of kind of seeing the burden of not having a care system in place. I think that there's been a burden on working mothers to feel guilty or feel as though if we need to, if our life, if we aren't able to work in a certain way or we can't sustain things, that it's a personal problem versus it being more of a systemic problem around wanting to work or wanting to contribute, but not being able to speak up about that and feel as though you can be a working parent. I mean, I, you know, I've been in situations and companies and I know we've talked to so many other women who have, who, you know, you're anxious about speaking out about being a parent or having to go care for your kids or what that looks like, because we haven't really created a culture of conversation and then policies and support around that. And, and now it just in some ways feels like chaos on that front. And so, you know, you're talking to so many employers and you're in this, are you, 
you feel optimistic? Are you seeing positive conversations taking place or things starting to shift at all? There needs to be federal support of these programs. I don't think that employers can shoulder it themselves. I think when you're looking, I think the challenge is when you're looking at employers right now, so many of them are cutting operating costs because they're getting hit by COVID too. And it's not, you know, most of the companies in this country are small businesses. So um, it is to cover, to cover childcare, to cover paid leave. Those are big expenses. And I think as parents, we want affordable, high quality childcare, right? That's what everyone always says. In order to have affordable, high quality childcare, the high quality part means that you have to pay people what they're worth. And I think you know, for the job that they do, for the value that they bring. And if, if there's one thing that working parents know right now when all those schools closed is how valuable teachers are, how valuable childcare is to them. So that costs money. Teachers deserve to be paid for the value that they bring. That makes it not affordable in mass. So when it's not affordable in mass, there has to be some kind of federal program to help support it. I think the other thing is that we're seeing childcare, they're small businesses themselves and they're closing and they don't, you know, I, I've heard of, you know, small, the small child cares that weren't able to secure the PPP loan. We're going to, we're going to lose child. We're in a child care crisis in addition to being in a working mom crisis. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, I, it's so true. And it's so, I mean, we see it at every level. I feel like I see, I see it in every phone call and every conversation. You just can feel the weight of what's taking place. Um, I'm hopeful though, because I think the reality of this, of being a working parent is visible in a way that it's just never been before. It's, you know, this very, it's been messy. It's been messy and we've kind of all been into it together. And I don't think anyone's been immune, whether you're at the top of your organization or you 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 know just started um, have lack of childcare, lack of support has affected everybody, and so I think everybody's kind of in agreement. It's just what's the next step forward? How are we going to drive it forward? And I think we are seeing companies. You know, I think when we move, look into twenty twenty one, companies typically buy on a buy their benefits on a cycle, and I am really optimistic that companies are going to do their part to support working parents. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are coming together. There's a lot of you know, the more there's power in community and coming together. And so hopefully a lot of joining forces in terms of tackling this and the innovation that comes out of these time periods. And so, you know, likewise, I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm remaining hopeful. And I also think, uh, you know, on what you do well and what we can continue to do is also support parents just individually in, in this time period and where they are to keep moving things forward. And so, I mean, I wonder when you think back about all the parents that you've supported, I know that over these past years, I think that milk stork that you've helped parents ship over 3.5 million ounces of breast milk, which is just such a tremendous number and milestone. And when you think about that, I mean, what does it mean to you to think about the change that you've been able to instill and the support that you've brought to so many feeding families? So, I mean, it makes it all worth it. That's the number that matters to me the most. I mean, that's the thing that really feels like I'm really proud. I'm really proud of that. If I, if I had to tell my kids like one thing, you know, that would be the thing is that, that we, we, we did move that much milk. I think the conversation of breastfeeding, I feel like we've driven that forward because I don't really, there wasn't a lot happening in the corporate like lactation space and being able to kind of speak truth to power about what lactation is and what, what's needed for it in, in the workplace. 
I think we have done our part to change the conversation a little bit and to raise awareness and to normalize breastfeeding. I, I think we've laid some really valuable trails that, <laughs> that others can, can follow on. I would completely agree with that. I think you're really inspirational. You certainly are to me as a business owner and a mother and just it's been beautiful to watch the journey and, and how far you've come and just how many people you've rallied and certainly working parents in particular on top of just parents generally. I feel like you're such a, such a wonderful, true, authentic voice in this conversation and changing things. So thank you for doing that for mothers oh, thank everywhere. You. <laughs> thank you. So Kate, before we wrap up our podcast, we like to ask every guest to leave our listeners with a little bit of an uplift, word of advice, something from your journey. Is there anything you'd like to say to all the, either the milk stork mothers out there, or others, the working parents that are navigating this moment in time? Just in recognizing how hard this year has been for all working parents, I'm just going to share a little story. Not my finest moment in parenting, but I think it's it's a funny moment and it's kind of changed the way I look at things. So uh, one of my kids is not very good at eating things, very like food sensory issues, you know, only eats cheddar bunnies and yogurt. And so one time we, uh, we paid him $30 to eat a dill pickle <laughs> and he could buy this Lego set that he wanted. So uh, we're like, you, if you eat the, this whole dill pickle for 30 bucks, you know, this is a big, this is a good deal. And he ate it and he gagged on it and ate it and gagged on it. And he finally finished it and then washed it down with chocolate milk <laughs> and said, you know, once you eat a pickle, every, everything else tastes really good. And I just feel like 2020 is it one big giant pickle that we're eating every day. So I'm, you know, we, we will all get through it and things will be much sweeter and tastier um, on the other side of it. So um, I'm with all of you and I, I see you and I, I just keep on trucking. Eat the pickle. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, Kate, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. <laughs> This has been the Pump Spotting Podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation and hanging out over on our app. We hope you'll come by to share your story and thoughts. And if you haven't already downloaded Pump Spotting, it's quick and easy to set up your profile and join the community. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our wonderful production team at Pitchwire, who partner with us to bring you these stories. We'll see you next time. And remember, you are capable, you are radiant, and you are not alone.